Hello and welcome to Message Received. Audience, I've brought you this special podcast series to fulfill your needs to learn about internal communication, leadership communication, resiliency, productivity, work-life integration, and how to get the most out of your organization. We hope you love listening to this series as much as we loved recording it. Thank you for subscribing. We're really excited to bring you this multi-channel approach to communication. Hello and welcome to Message Received. I'm your host, Tim Ferguson. I'm the CEO of Audience and we're obsessed with employee engagement and internal communication and meetings and leadership and all of, all of these great things that come under the audience umbrella. And our program is devoted to exploring these topics. And this is what we call a deep dive, a deep dive interview. And I'm going to introduce you to our guest in just a moment or let her introduce herself, Daisy, from our team at Audience. First, I'd like to just frame the topic of today. We're going to talk about what we're calling the rapid evolution of virtual. Just this is being recorded in early December of 2020. The vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine is is now a reality. It's in the market. And I guess 10 months ago now, our world, like everyone else's, was sort of turned upside down. We're a very busy agency focused on delivering maybe 70% of our work would be delivering live meetings. And like everybody else, we had to pivot and dive into virtual. So we'd like to explore what we've learned along the way in 2020, and then what do we see coming in 2021? And this is being recorded for the benefit of our own staff to listen to and learn from Daisy's experience, as well as for our clients. And who knows, the outside world, we hope you're listening somewhere on this lovely planet Earth. So with no further ado, welcome to the program, Daisy. Thank you, Tim. So Daisy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us your the 92nd Daisy bio. 92nd Daisy. Um, well, I guess first and foremost, so I'm an account director with the audience. I've been working with the audience team for about three years now. Um, but hail from England originally. Um, background is in psychology and then a sort of career of marketing and communications. Um, so that was in London, New York, and now Switzerland. London, New York, Basel. Basel. <laughs> it's just a, a natural progression. You know, exactly. where, where else would you go after London in New York? Awesome. So let's let's start with just helping people understand what you do. Uh, the account director role sure. in, I think, any agency is a little abstract for people who don't know it very mm-hmm. well. And it's, in my view, it's changed a lot in the last five years or so. So just for for to bring people up to date, what is what is the role and what do you consider the most important elements of the role? Yeah, so true. I still have family that um, I say I'm an account person and they say, oh, so you manage all their finances? I'm like, no. Um, so <laughs> really our role is to be an effective and, and I guess sort of a strategic partner to our clients. So working really closely with them to truly understand what their needs are, um, what their challenges are, what their vision, what their objectives are, and really, I guess, use the and draw upon the, the expertise of our team and our company to help them achieve those. Um, so that will be, I guess, providing in, in reality, it's it's 
fully understanding what that brief is. Um, it's working with our team to identify appropriate solutions to help them achieve those. Um, and then providing overarching strategic direction. So how can we really achieve that? What is the real purpose of this? Who are the end audience that the sort of behavior we're trying to change and understand? Um, and then of course there are budgetary sides to it. You know, we have to make sure that we deliver projects on time and on budget um, and we're really responsible for that. Um, but I think, yeah, one of the main things would be helping set those expectations really throughout the life cycle of a project. Um, and managing them throughout and hopefully ending up with effective communications. And if you think of pre-COVID, if you can remember, I can barely remember what it was like pre-COVID. How would you describe the classic client needs? Like what were the what were the the two or three, just so people listening really understand, like when we say we've had a successful project, what would be the needs that have been met to it? to define success? Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, um, I mean, it can be anything really. So from a personal perspective, i.e. Um, a client personal perspective, it can be helping them feel more confident in what they're trying to communicate. Um, so it can be what is deemed as simple as a presentation that they might be doing to their senior leadership, for example. Um, all the way through to large scale meeting design. So there could be global meetings that we would help them design that entire experience. Um, and that might be, for example, a three day meeting that is designed by a global team, helping them roll out a new strategy, a new product, um, new ways of working. And that would therefore mean bringing two, three hundred people from across the world, often more um, and bring them all together for yeah a period of a couple of days to help translate X amount of content. And in the end, in the, again pre-COVID, how would how would you know? So when you and your client do your debrief and you sit down over a cup of coffee and you talk about the event, how how would you judge your success? I guess we have a number of things and. Um, What's always challenging is behavioral change and mindset change. How do you measure that? Um, so obviously we have surveys that get that are sent out to the actual attendees or the end participants of X communication. Um, but really, we rely a lot on those key stakeholders giving us yeah that important feedback to help us really understand. Um, I think it's yeah hard to measure a mindset shift as such. And what about on site when you're observing the attendees? Like, could you get a feel for it? Would you know how it was landing? Or is it still kind would, of a mystery? I would really hope so. Um, because you can physically see all those people in front of you, right? You can feel the, the energy that might be in a room. Um, you can hear the discussions and the sort of engagement that that's right in front of you. Um, and now post-COVID, I'm sure you might be leading on to this, but post-COVID, that's a hell of a lot more difficult to um, to understand. Yeah, that's it. So that's a perfect transition. So now let's go back to March, April, May, the, <laughs> the cutting edge of the first wave mm -hmm. of COVID. And the phone started ringing or kept ringing or I'm not sure phones ring anymore. You, you're getting texts <laughs> and emails. Multiple and, uh, emails. Yeah, that's right from the from your clients. What were the 
what would you say the early requests were in virtual? What was the need being articulated by the clients in the first wave? Uh, fear. I think there was real fear in the unknown. Um, I mean, it was and still is changing so rapidly. It was a help. Do I still carry on and do my meeting? If I'm going to have to do my meeting, what about virtual? How are we going to do it virtually? What even is virtual? I've got to use this thing called Zoom uh, or like go to meeting. You know, there were so many, um, I guess, sort of just panic around the format. And I think an, an immediate shift to really focusing on the format um, instead of I guess our usual approach, right, which would be really trying to understand right back at the start when I was explaining my role, you know, trying to understand what is the need, who is that end audience, what's that behavior we're trying to change, what would be the best way to go about that, what's the content that they need to hear to enable that. Um, it was a, oh my God, we've got to do this virtually, help. Um, so, yeah. A lot so, of o almost just um, trying to hold on to to communication or to communities that were supposed to come together just to make it basically work. I, I, is that right? Yeah, and I guess it, it's the tough decision. I mean, it's balancing, I guess, the, the urgency and the immediate need of trying to communicate versus um, do we just perhaps hold on and wait until we might be able to meet face-to-face -face again? Um, and some teams you know, took took the leap that they were going to go ahead. You know, they needed to communicate X piece of content. Um, and the, the need was was more urgent than, um, I guess, the opportunity to, to wait until when it could be face-to-face. -face. And what we've now seen, obviously, nine months on is those clients that hoped that they could be face-to-face -face either around this time or perhaps instead of February next year are having to either postpone again, um, you know, and then you've got a whole year or even more, so... And, and before we get into some of 2020 and what really worked, because I want to explore that, what were the best practices that have emerged in 2020? Before we go there, just tell me a little bit about from a personal point of view, you and, and the team. So clients are like fearful, like, ah, we have to do this. We have to make this work. And they reach out to you for help. How did that feel for you? What was the experience like from your from your side? Um, I was actually really wonderfully amazed by the team um i think there was i guess a sense of urgency absolutely but what was so wonderful i think was how the team really came together um everybody immediately had everyone's back we were supporting wherever we could um you know the idea of roles i think went out the window you know it was really ensuring that we were drawing on our experience our expertise and just supporting where necessary um, so there was a real, I guess, sort of almost sense of camaraderie, I guess, to, yeah, to uh, to adapt to this mad world that we're we're still living in. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that. I, I, as you're saying it, I'm thinking that camaraderie was probably the key success factor in every area in the first few months. That both on our, you know, I work with a lot um, in my work. I do a lot of. Um, workshops and offsites with clients so with teams you know and it, it seemed that everyone had the same technology everyone had zoom or webex or google or mural or jamboard everyone had the same tools and for some they were drowning despite having the tools and for others they were either kind of 
keeping afloat or even sailing forward and and being almost like exhilarated by the experience. And as you use that word camaraderie, I think that that may be the key ingredient. Uh, it's not the technology, it's the camaraderie that makes a community, um, something like that. Yeah, but it, what I find interesting is that, um, I mean, humans respond in grand pandemics or grand situations like this so differently, right? So some you get, because of the fear, there is doubting others, there is only trusting yourself, there is not knowing yeah I guess who to trust or who to turn to um whereas yeah what I was pleasantly surprised by and I think you know we know it we're, we're such a solid team of audience um we were very lucky that people really did support each other so Daisy let's get into the segment I would call past that April May past the early edge of of wave one where you it goes from fear, panic, how do we hold this all together to clients and ourselves getting comfortable with some of the tools, getting mm-hmm. comfortable with virtual and feeling less in panic mode and more in, let's say, let's make this really work for us mode. Um, can you t- take just take us through some of the best practices from either from a strategic point of view, a creative point of view, a tactical point of view, wherever you want to take it. If I just said to you, hey, Daisy, what were the highlights of, of the 2020 virtual experience? What what comes to mind for you? Um, I think one of the main things is is actually not it's not rocket science. It, it's those that really I guess got the most from this were the ones that took it back to basics in a way. So taking it back to the basics of of our approach. So instead of, you know, I was talking about the, oh my God, it's virtual, what do we do? It was the ones that actually said, right, now let's really think about now every single one of our participants are in a completely individual situation. They're not all in some big plenary room all together that you can control that experience. They haven't all come to the hotel together, had pre-networking drinks together. Um You've got individuals all with very different home environments or with very different personal situations, work environments. Um, so even more so understanding what their needs are, what their wants are, what their priorities are. Um, and for a lot of them, that was still rapidly changing. Um, and therefore, what then is the most appropriate um, content to be sharing at the time? What really is that experience that's going to help bring people together when people need to be together? Um, I think those were the ones that were were really successful uh, in the term of successful. But what we got a chance to explore and some of the ones that I enjoyed the most was, I mean, we talk about asynchronous communication, but what we're doing now, right, an opportunity to have a podcast. I mean, so rapidly, I think we saw and heard clients struggling with virtual fatigue. Um, no one had heard of Zoom, I think, sort of six months ago and now everyone has zoom fatigue um you know so it's really exploring what are the opportunities to help people get away from the screen um you can still have a shared experience not physically sitting in front of your little tiny square computer box um but yeah really getting people away and i think the biggest challenge that we saw was because people were so concerned about people's attention span needing to not hook them onto the screen the whole time. Um, 
they really cut down content and they and they were good around cutting down the time on screen but that meant that all those other elements that make up a holistic experience for me so it's things like actually having some fun in there like that got cut so it was literally we're going to talk at you we're going to tell you xyz for two hours then you're going to get a little five minute bio break then you're going to come back and we're going to talk at you again for another two hours because we've got all this content and we need to share this with you um so i think you we rapidly saw yeah perhaps a lot of a lot of fun being taken away and what need do you think that was meeting so if i have the I'm just trying to think of below the surface so that people, I, I, I mean, I think most people are very well intended, right? Mm-hmm. They they have an objective that they're trying to achieve. They're behaving rationally. So there must have been some underlying need to say, let's skip the fun and go straight and make it all business. What What's your mm-hmm. sense of the the underlying impulse there? Uh, a natural need to deliver, I think. And we were literally talking about this the other day. There's something about um, when you are face to face, when you're in an office together, you see people at their desk. You see people um, doing things. You see people going to meeting rooms and coming back. Um, When you can't see people and the only chance for you to see people is on a virtual screen or writing an email, um, I think we have a, a human nature to want to deliver or want to be showing that we're that we're doing things. Um, and I think that naturally comes out in meeting organization as well. You know, those organizers can still say, we delivered this, we still did X, Y, Z, we shared all these materials, look, they've got everything they need now, of course, off they go. Um, I think it's, yeah, there is some element of, of human nature there, I think, perhaps. Yeah, it makes sense. And then where where did you see the balance being met best, where it there is that sense of hey we delivered content we really did get kind of work done business done but the experience for the attendees was positive and energizing like do you what what are the what were the formulas for success when when it went at its optimal best mm-hmm. um i think what we saw work well was I guess really finding that balance. So, of course, if you translate a three-day face-to-face meeting into a three-day virtual meeting with people sitting at their screens for eight hours a day, that's not going to be engaging. Um, So really exploring and um, challenging, I guess, ourselves and our clients. Um, I think it was Mark that said it, you know, what can we do together that we can only do together? And really coming back to that again and again and again. Um, so really ensuring that that time that you have together is collaborative, is giving people an opportunity to distill that information, discuss that information, explore ideas, IDA, etc. Um, so keeping that, for example, max three, four hours a day, um, ensuring as well. And I think, Tim, it was something you said to me a, a few weeks ago, ensuring as well that management or it's really that that time spent as part of that meeting is recognized as a meeting so it's not that you're joining this virtual meeting but actually at the same time you've got a client meeting you've got another like internal training session you want to be doing you've got to really dedicate the time to that and give people I guess the opportunity to dedicate that time to that um, so, yeah, keeping it to short times on screen, but, yeah, playing on that asynchronous communication that we spoke about. So what content can be shared beforehand, give them time to actually distill that, 
give them an opportunity to get away from their desk and explore something, share a photo that you've done on a walk when you've actually seen something outside your home, um, listen to a podcast along the way, then discuss that together. Um, so I guess it's the idea of, yeah, collaboration. And the the early talk, I think, as well, or maybe midway talk was, oh, this is more productive and uh, we're never going to go back to the office and uh, I want to be working remotely forever. Has <laughs> has that stayed? This Is that still the story coming towards the end of 2020? How has that evolved? I would say no. Um, I think when we we recently did a, a, a listening tour and the, the challenge that we hear time and time and again, I think it's both internal and external, is networking and not networking in the sense of I'm meeting X new people and I'm making X new contacts that's going to help me personally. It, it's more just the sense of human connection. Um, it's the coffee chats. It's the walking down the corridor and bumping into someone. Um, it's the having a drink at the bar, you know, when you are on site. Um, I think we have found, although some of the technological sort of solutions have been brilliant, um, that element is still one that we're finding challenging. Um, and I think people's view is, or it seems to be a, a lot of the view is, that you, you can't replace that. Um, and people really are longing for face-to-face -to, -face to be able to get some of that back. Okay, so maybe uh, 2021 will will be hybrid at the very least, and then people coming together face-to-face, -face, I, I think maybe quite eagerly once once they're able to safely. That That's the the sense I'm getting is that um, and I think it also depends on your job. You know, if you have a job that is super difficult to do in isolation, then it stands to reason that you're going to rush back to face to face. Um, so we'll see. I, I think the predictions that people are going to love working remotely for the rest of their lives were yeah. really more, more than anything, almost like confirmation bias, right? People wanting to say, you know what, my situation here working remotely, it's good, it's fine. I can do this for the long haul to make themselves, you know, to make ourselves feel better in, in yeah. the moment. Um, time will tell. Well, and I think it's, I mean, as you say, it's the roles as well, right? I mean, and your learning styles, are you introverted, are you extroverted? Um, for example, I think even you might have told me, but there was a board member, right? And instead of a board member who often can be on multiple boards and flying halfway across the world for a two-hour meeting or a half-day meeting, they don't need to do that. You know, they are they can just as effectively um, meet virtually and hopefully save some CO2 emissions along the way. But <laughs> whereas I think just, yeah, human connection, rallying people together, getting people on board with an idea, building momentum, um, there absolutely will still be a place for that face-to-face. -face. So to this point, Daisy, we've been focusing a lot on meetings, but audience is interested in a lot more than meetings. Uh, leadership, internal communication, employee engagement, behavior change. And I mean, the meetings are a means to an end. So can you give us a flavor for what the COVID lockdown virtual experience has? What what has the impact been on these other areas? And where do you see it evolving uh, in 2021? Sure. Um, I think the, the biggest one, and we sort of touched on it right at the start, is how do we as humans, as individuals, as teams, as organizations um, respond to change? Um, and when we see such global change on such a global scale, um, 
Yeah, I find it personally super interesting as to how how we respond as individuals. Um, so some your natural, I guess, tendency is to protect, to go inward, to keep things the same, to to not change, right? Um, but I think where some of the yeah, I guess some of the amazingness comes through is when you see that more exponential change. Um, very interesting. I was listening to a, a client session last week and they had a guy called Mark Bonchek on and he was talking about um, incremental change. So as humans, we change, we grow, we develop. So he was literally saying two plus two plus two plus two. So two, four, six, eight. Um, you know, and that's how from a child we we develop it, you know, into humans as our experience grows. Um but then he was saying the kind of change that we want to see is exponential. So literally two, four, eight, sixteen, you know, and so quickly, rapidly, well, rapidly increases and changes. Um, and again, naturally, you might shy away from that exponential change because it feels so exponential. Um, but he described it. It was a it was going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And it was literally like, and it was, for me, it was such a good analogy because it's still the same DNA, right? It's still the same, but it changes so incredibly. Um, and it somehow does that. Is it seven bit? How long is it that it, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I just really love that, that analogy. And it, you know, you still have your sense of identity, but you have changed into something completely new. Um, and in these times, it's sort of the, the change that we need to take on right i love the analogy and i'm, I'm no um butterflyologist whatever you call <laughs> an expert in butterflies but there is that moment where the caterpillar it, it's in the in the crystallis or something mm -hmm. like this where it i think if you open it up it's literally goo like it's because yeah, it, it, it like eats its own cells or something insane yeah, yeah. and and then and then the transformation to a butterfly, it's quite unpredictable, you know, to say, okay, this was, you look at a caterpillar and you look at a butterfly, how do you draw the line between the two? Where, where are people at right now? Like, are we, are the clients uh, on the client side or our, our own team side, mm -hmm. are we butterflies now? Or are we still caterpillars? Or are we like this mess of goo <laughs> in between? Like, where, where are we in this evolution? I think, um... I think a lot of us became butterflies uh, back in March, April time, because there was that immediate and there was such a, a drive behind that change. Um, and then weirdly, if they can go back into the cocoon, I think a lot of people did that perhaps over the summer as tiny bits of normalcy like came perhaps, um, you know, we could travel a little bit. We could, I guess, get some sort of, sort of, of normalcy back. Um, and now I think people are really wising up in a sense. Um, you know, we're realizing that it's it's not magically all going to come back to, to how it was before. There isn't going to be a how it was before. Um, you know, we really do need to change. Um, and I think we're seeing the ones that are not benefiting, because I hate to use the term benefiting from this madness, but it's more, um, yeah, the ones that are staying ahead of the game are the ones that are doing that exponential change yeah i think the the darwinian concept of evolution it's a bit of a misnomer when they say it's this the strongest survive it's more like 
the most suited to the changed environment survive. Mm. So talk to me a little bit about that. So as you're as you're seeing this transformation, this rapid evolution, what are the characteristics of the the individuals or teams or organizations, however you'd like to address it? What are the characteristics of those who are going to do well in in the coming months versus those who are going to you know struggle with with the change that you've described? Yeah. Um, and again, this comes back to something a client said to me a, a few weeks ago, which really made me think. They said, for um, for agility to work, you need stability. And I I really like that because, and I think it comes back to this this sense of identity, this sense of self. Um, and again, I think it was something this Mark, Mark Bonchek had said. Historically, we would have a sense of self based on ourself. Um, but since basically the internet and our ability to connect and network literally across the world, uh, you know, social media, et cetera, so much of our sense of self comes from like a social identity. So how we relate to others and how others relate to us. Um, and so in a way we're feeding for our own identity, we're feeding not only off ourselves, but so much of our, off others. Um, and I think you can perceive this change to be, then I'm not going to be authentic. I'm not going to be myself, right? But actually, if you are, if you're the caterpillar, uh, then you can still keep that identity um, and you need to keep that authentic self, but you can still change. Um, and change doesn't necessarily have to mean a bad thing, um, which I think still a lot of people still perceive it to be. Um, the negative, I guess, connotations of that. Um, so I guess there's, yeah, maintaining sense of self. Um, and then, yeah, you've got to, you've got to have the, I guess, the, the courage and the boldness to, to go about that change and feel comfortable in that change and that continued change that we're going to still have, I think, for the years to come. I really like the way you said that. And it makes me think like when you said about the DNA from the caterpillar to the <laughs> butterfly is the same. And then the message that for agility to work, you need stability and, and the sense that in evolution, there is continuity. There is uh, you are still yourself as as you're making change, you you remain yourself. Mm -hmm. And so it just painting a picture in my mind of going back inward to evaluate your values what you stand for as a person yeah. what you feel is important thinking about the relationships that mean the most to you and then asking yourself what do i need to change in order to remain true to those relationships or true to exactly. those values so it's paradoxical it's like yeah. uh, making change in order to stay the same in in many aspects i guess of our of our of ourselves yeah and it seems yeah exactly it seems sort of anti what logical i guess yeah and then um we did a we did a workshop last week which was wonderful when we literally reflected on 2020 and we wrote down all the the crappy things of 2020 uh, and then we also wrote down all the positive things um and one of the most positive things, and I guess what we've seen a lot in leadership, which I think is really nice, is that um, heightened, I think, sense of presence, almost in a way, um, even though it's not physical presence, 
Um, and in a way, again, almost that human connection. So seeing people's kids jump over them, seeing the dogs and animals, you know, come come across, seeing them in their normal day clothes, not in a really smart suit. Um, to me, that brings back, you know, it, it takes away some of that more hierarchical, I guess, historically view um, and makes people more human. So I, I really hope that we can continue that as well in, in the future. Yeah, and as you say that, Daisy, I think we've had two cats and three dogs in this podcast <laughs> alone as, a, as as an example. <laughs> so I want to I want to close our our conversation looking forward into 2021, and pick up what you you just said, beginning with the with the topic of leadership, and this sense of authenticity and almost like a leveling of the playing field by seeing us all seeing each other in our pajamas and all this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So for those who are listening, who are in a leadership position, what's your guidance to them for helping navigate 2021 for themselves and for their teams? Um, first of all, I think I'd actually like to, <laughs> I'd like to call leadership something new. Um, because for me, for me, we associate so much meaning with words. And to me, like a leader, of course, it's someone you want to follow, but also a leader is someone that commands and like controls. And I don't think a leader in today's world can command and control. Um, and in a way, you know, we are, we're all leaders. Um, but yeah, for me, there's something really interesting there to perhaps explore further at some other time. But and I, I think I've heard some clients call it, you know, unbossing or I don't know, there's, there's something in that. Perhaps we're all leaders. Perhaps we don't have to call ourselves leaders. So for someone who wants to be the leader who helps presumably move forward towards success, let's just say that that's the, a, a goal of the leader, but you're going to do it without command and control. Give us a flavor of what you're seeing there. What are the um, on a practical level, what does a leader do mm. then to get people moving in the same direction? Yeah, what makes what makes you a person that someone wants to follow? Um, I think it is, to me, it's, it's listening, it's guiding, it's being more of a, yeah, a catalyst, it's prompting ideas, it's encouraging people to to pursue those really. Um, and how, if at all, is virtual relevant to that? We're talking about the, the mm. evolution of the rapid evolution of virtual. Is there a is there a, a concept of virtual leadership or is that a misnomer? I think there is. Um, I think it's probably harder. I mean, if you're coming in as a new leader, I think it's probably harder to establish. Um, because I guess just in terms of actual opportunities to communicate across your team perhaps might be less. Um, I think building that trust is tough um, virtually. So I don't think it's impossible, um, but I think it's definitely tricky. Yeah, I think so. I, I've worked with a lot of clients who have started their jobs in COVID-19 mm at different levels, you know, different different types of roles. 
And yeah, it's so challenging. How do you get to know your teammates? How do you, they get to know you? How do you build trust, rapport? How do you build a relationship? I think it's the other thing that's kind of interesting to think about is the degree to which we are drawing, almost like drawing down on our our interpersonal bank accounts. So you and I knew each other pre-COVID-19, so we had a relationship established. To what degree in virtual have we, in fact, been drawing down on that, on that built-up, almost like investment of our in our relationship? Have we been drawing down on it? Or have we been expanding it? Ha- has the virtual communication, in fact, been uh, making it even stronger? And some days I'm not sure. It, it it's not clear to me yet whether I've. And and I, and I ask myself, how many new relationships have I started in COVID nineteen? Mm. How many people are there that I've never met? Ver- I've never met in person, and I've developed a relationship with. And I would say I, on a professional level, I have absolutely. I'm not sure on a personal level. I, I don't. I'm not. I don't think I can say I have a COVID nineteen friend, someone who I've <laughs> met and you know gained a relationship with in a, on a personal level who I didn't know prior to March 2020. Well, yeah, and perhaps. I mean, it comes back to that networking challenge, right? I think is how do you form those new relationships? Um, and if you're not waiting in like a virtual chat room or something to randomly meet someone new, um, I think it's, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, perhaps just coming back to the, the leadership thing, for me, um, you know, you're asking what, what makes a good leader. And I think it's it's coming back to that role model. Um, I'm still seeing or we're still hearing sort of clients and teams, they are being coached into how to be more collective leadership, more coaching rather than leaders um, or more command and control. Um, But yet there are still challenges of you need to get X budget signed off by them or you need to get um, X approved by them or you say take some time away from the screen you know we're we're empathizing with your personal situation but yet everyone else is sending emails at 10 p.m at night for example um you know so it's just trying to find the the balance between that yeah and i really hope that everyone listening has found a rhythm to their day, to their week. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be key in 2021 is you really need to, because the vaccines are coming. I, I, I've i seen uh, a report from McKinsey that says this pandemic should be over by the end of 2021. We will have hit global herd immunity by the end of 2021. And I'm holding on to that. I, I think it gives <laughs> me a lot of hope. But Q1, Q2 more than likely is more of what we're going through now. So can you just in our, our final couple of minutes, from a personal point of view, because you you seem to have stayed very fresh through the experience so far, you know, we're going into the holidays now, you still seem to have a smile on your face and a lot of energy. As you've said, you know, you're, you're, you feel that your team uh, has had that camaraderie and has really been a, a calm in the storm for, for many of the clients. What are your secrets to success? What are the things that you're doing to to find balance and keep balance in in the virtual world? 
Good question. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that it hasn't been a roller coaster. I think it's been a roller coaster for for everyone. But what, yeah, I think it really comes back to sense of team. Um, you know, being there for your colleagues, your friends, your family when things are really crappy, um, but when things are exciting and urgent and new. Um, so yeah, I think relationships, um, support between people. I think generally I'm probably quite lucky because I am quite a positive person. So um, I think that's made it slightly easier perhaps. But yeah, I think keeping that human connection, keeping that support system there um, and trying to be, I guess, kind to yourself ultimately, um, understanding and being aware of your own ups and downs and your own challenges and appreciating that and giving yourself time to to respond. So it's like, be a good person <laughs> in a way, right? Like, what, as I'm listening, because it's so funny, I, I always think like, like tactics, you know, do I email on weekends or do I go to bed at 10 o'clock and you're like, well, be a good person and, and, and have good relationships. And it's like so true and wise. It's just like, and, and I feel that in a lot of ways, that's been maybe the through line in this discussion is go back to basics, mm. uh, tap into what's universal, know yourself very well, cultivate meaningful relationships, uh, be a positive force in the universe. And that and that maybe the virtual, not I wouldn't call it a red herring, but, but yeah, maybe. I mean, the things that made humans human uh, have been the same since time began, I suppose the printing press didn't change humanity in any fundamental way. The internet hasn't changed humanity in any fundamental way. So yeah, it's interesting. I, I've gone from thinking that everything is different to thinking everything's more or less the same through, through this discussion. It's been interesting. Any, um, any final words of wisdom to, to people listening when they think about 2021, what's your parting shot? a tough question again um I think I would literally say from that workshop we did last week when you reflect on 2020 you write down all the things that have been not so great or you think have been challenging you write down all the things that have been good um is actually not to get rid of all the the bad things but keep both of them going forward um yeah, draw upon the good things and try and maintain some of that, even when we do go back to global travel, um, you know, whatever it might mean. Well, that's awesome. That's very helpful. And well, I would say, Daisy, for me, one of the good things from 2020 was your continued partnership and working with you and our relationship. Thank you. So, so thank you for being part of the audience team. Our listeners, I'm sure, have gotten a lot from this. So thank you very much, Daisy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our podcast message received. Don't forget to subscribe to our series and keep a lookout for the next episode.